0: Praise the Lord. I want to direct your attention to the book of John, chapter 21. Amen. What a great day we're having in the Holy Ghost. Welcome all of you joining us online. And uh, we thank you for tuning in. Some of you are on Facebook, some on YouTube, and others you're listening maybe uh, later in the archives on our podcast. And thank you for subscribing to those things and listening and amen. We invite you to come and visit in person as well. Amen. Praise the Lord. Those of you that were in the first half, boy, what a message from God. Amen. Pastor Duncan preached in Jesus' name. Wow. Right in line with what God is saying and doing with this Encounters with Jesus series that we're in. Amen. John 21, I'm just going to read one verse of scripture, verse 11, the word of the Lord says to us, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Hmm. And I have an interesting title. Now, before they put the screen up, my title is not about me. Okay? So I just want you to know that. I'm not saying I'm God, but my title is I Am God. And I think you'll figure out why as we get to the end of this message today. Somebody look to heaven with me right now and just tell him, You're my God. (laughs) You're my God. Hallelujah. Father, let the living word preach the written word today. Cause my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer and inscribe it upon our hearts and minds that we might apply it and obey it. Lord, your word is fulfilled. Scripture is fulfilled. And you are confirming your words with signs following. In Jesus' name, we give you the praise and the glory. Would you shout hallelujah? Hallelujah. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I hear the Lord saying to his church today, I am God. Praise the Lord. One encounter with Jesus is enough to transform your life forever. One encounter with Jesus turns mistakes into miracles, pain into purpose, and turmoil into testimony and as we heard in our first half god gives us mercy for our mistakes to turn them into miracles amen in our text today peter thomas nathaniel james john and two other unnamed disciples have all decided they're going fishing now i don't know in John's setting how far this was past the resurrection because we know Jesus showed himself 40 days with infallible proofs to his disciples. So I I have to believe this is early on because they've given up hope. John and Peter have seen the empty tomb. They've heard Jesus speak, but it hasn't clicked yet for them. And so Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two other disciples all decide I'm going back to fishing. Come on, we can relate to that because sometimes when the miracle doesn't happen in our timetable or sometimes when a curveball gets thrown and we don't understand the death of Jesus Christ, so to speak, in our lives, then we get to a place that we sometimes say, I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. And they go back to fishing. They're confused about the past three and a half years of their lives. Maybe they thought, did it mean anything? Maybe like John the Baptist, they were asking amongst themselves, was Jesus really the one or should we look for another? Regardless of what they thought or said, we do know that they went back to fishing, but they also were about to have an encounter with Jesus that would transform their lives forever in spite of their best efforts. These were skilled fishermen. They knew what to do. They knew how to mend their nets just right. They knew where to fish. They knew the currents. They understood all the process that goes into it. But in spite of their best efforts, they had fished all night and had caught nothing. By the way, that's why they call it fishing because if you caught more things, they would call it catching. Okay, but dum pump. Moving on. I'm not a comedian. I'm a preacher. But they'd fished all night and didn't have anything to show for their efforts but in the wee hours of dawn jesus calls out from the shore do you have any food yeah. Amen. they reply we didn't catch anything jesus says watch this cast your net on the other side you'll find some now all of us are armchair quarterbacks on monday and we can say why the team should have done a different thing or you know especially if our team loses as if the team owner should call us and get our input because bless the Lord we have figured it out we got the t-shirt that says I'm a fan and I know that quarterback should have called me i'm not saying that the disciples thought this but can you imagine being a skilled fisherman and some unknown character from the beach says hey put it on the other side i'd probably yell back and say hey it's the same water on both sides of the boat just being honest right now i, I i'm suggesting that could have Happen. I'm not trying to add anything to scripture, please don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is, we don't know if they thought or said that because scripture doesn't record it, but I think the propensity at least is there that they could have. Okay. But here's what they did according to John's record, they said, okay, and they cast it on the other side. By the way, they still don't know who it is on the shore. But when they cast it on the other side, verse 6 of this chapter tells us they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Can you imagine the effort, the toil, the frustration of fishing all night long and not a single fish in your net and you obey whoever this is on the shore, you throw it over on the other side and all of a sudden it's too much to haul in. You're like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? When this happened, the Bible tells us that John immediately knew who it was and recognized this is the Lord. Hear me. I'm I'm getting somewhere with this. Stay with me. Track with me here. Amen. Stay focused today. Peter hears John say this, realizes who it is as well, dives into the sea and swims to shore to see Jesus. Let me say this, in the wee hours of the dawn, John couldn't see who it was on the shore. He didn't hear his tone or pitch well enough to determine who it might have been by his voice. But when he saw the miracle of the net, John recognized Jesus. I want somebody to know, you may not always be able to clearly identify Jesus by sight or by sound, but you can always identify him by the supernatural miracles and signs. I've listened to testimony after testimony of people who have walked through those doors, who have walked into this church and don't know exactly what they're feeling, but they're like, something's different. I've listened to some of you tell stories of people you've talked to on your job, in your school, and they begin to feel the power of God. That's what I'm talking about. You may not be able to recognize Him in sight or sound, but you can always tell Him, by the miracles he does. Right. Oh, hallelujah. And even when circumstances seem to be out of control, just keep trusting God because he never fails. Right. Eventually, the disciples bring in the net full of fish. And while they're dragging in the net, Jesus already has a fire going and is cooking some fish. I find it crazily interesting that here he is, Asking if they've got anything, and he's already cooking some. But there's a reason. Stay with me. In verse 11, our text that we read, something intriguing stands out. Again, it tells us the amount of fish in the net. And, and it's not about, like for example, in Acts chapter 2, it's about 120, which could have been 119. Could have been 123. About is non-specific. It's close to. Right? You ever heard somebody round up? It's like 2.48 million, but they say 2.5, or about 2.5 million, right? Th- that's that's where we get to. But this is an exact number. It's not about 150 fish. It's exactly 153. Strange number. And Jesus in verse 12 says to them come and eat breakfast watch this yet none of the disciples dared ask him who are you knowing that it was the lord now you say well how do they know that two things obviously john recognized by the miracle but when they get to the shore when the boat finally gets in and they're done counting one two three ten fifteen twenty hundred and fifty one two hundred fifty three Something triggered in their minds, and none of them dared ask who he was. They knew who it was. Hmm. So what's so interesting about 153 fish? I'm glad you asked. Three years ago, this, back this week, three years ago in 2018, I visited Israel. We visited the Sea of Galilee, and according to our tour guide, Ronnie Netzner, we were near the exact place of where this miracle would have happened. Now, that's pretty amazing. I'm sitting there and he's telling this story and I've got my phone open and I'm looking up John and I'm like, man, within a few yards or feet, this is probably where Jesus was. It was like, wow, this is cool. Ronnie went on to tell us that 153, there's no equivalent to that in Hebrew except this. It equals the words, Ani Elohim, which in English means, I am God, thus my title. Now Ronnie was not a Messianic Jew. He's an Orthodox Jew. He, he believes Malachi is where it ends. He knows enough of the New Testament to be a good tour guide. And I don't mean that to be disparaging to him, he, he has to learn that. But he says these words, he said, although I'm not a Messianic Jew. This would be significant to the apostles who would go on to write the New Testament, declaring that Jesus was God. Well, let me just sidebar for a minute and tell you what's even more cool about that is here's an orthodox jew who believes in only one god who is purely monotheistic saying that this very number indicates that the man that we're talking about is god oh that's why when the bible says god was manifested in the flesh that's why when we preach and teach a oneness belief amen there's proof Throughout the entire Bible, hallelujah. Now, interestingly enough, amen, thank you, yes, hallelujah, we got a preacher over here helping me, praise God. Preacher in the making right there. (laughs) If if you were to do some more research by, by reputable sources, you would find a couple other interesting things about 153 let me tell you what they are first of all one scholar uh, added up all the people that jesus uniquely ministered to in the four gospels and guess how many it totaled 153 that's pretty cool another scholar uh uh, did a a in-depth study in the greek side of 153 and found that it can mean super abundance based on the fact that they had a hard time pulling in the net and it was such a great catch i i I like both of those i I think that fits i I like what ronnie said when i was there in israel three years ago and i don't have a problem with any one of those explanations to better understand the text and the scripture but as i was praying and studying i literally got to this place in prayer and study and and typing the notes and 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 i just felt there's got to be more and the holy spirit said look deeper and I began to look deeper. And God said, No, go even deeper. And about the fourth time when He said, Go deeper, I realized what God was telling me. And God showed me something from Ezekiel chapter 47. Amen. Ezekiel, let me just lay it out here for you real quickly. Ezekiel has a vision of seeing a river start in the uh, tabernacle, in the altar, and spread out through all of Israel and throughout the whole land and encompass the whole earth. And in this river, he is told to go measure four times. And the first measurement is only up to his ankles. And the second measurement is up to his knees. And the third is up to his waist. And the fourth was waters to swim in. And I'm like, okay, God, that's cool. Uh, I get what you're saying. What are you trying to tell me? Well, in the first three measurements, Ezekiel could stand there without any problem, even up to his waist. It was not a strong enough river to cause him to, to be swept under. It didn't have a strong enough current or undercurrent to do that. He could stand pretty firm, and in other words, he was the one in control in the river. But in the fourth measurement, to when it was waters to swim in, he couldn't touch bottom and be above water. It was waters to just he just had to swim and let the current take him where it wanted to take him. Oh But wait, there's more. Ezekiel forty seven, verse seven. Here he is speaking. When I returned there along the bank of the river, where very many trees on one side and the other, then he he would be God here the angel said to me these uh, this water flows toward the Eastern region goes down into the valley and enters the sea when it reaches the sea its waters are healed uh, Has anybody ever been healed and it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river will go will live Anybody here used to be dead in sin and now you're alive in Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, come on bear with me watch this part of verse 9 says there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes verse 10 it shall be that fishermen will stand on it or by it from in jedi to in Iglam, and they will be places for spreading the nets remember john 21 Cast your net, spread the nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds of the fish of the great sea. In other words, implying not just one kind of fish, but all different kinds of fish. And every reputable uh, commentary and source of this text in the Hebrew means just that. Multiple types of fish, from little fish to big fish, uh, from, from you know, all kinds of different ones. And then it ends with exceedingly many ah in other words this fourth measurement of waters to swim in would produce a river greater than the water on the earth combined and everywhere it flowed it would bring healing and it would bring life and this river would flow into the sea and encompass everything Hmm. and here's what god spoke to me as i was studying this ezekiel 47 is a messianic prophecy Because Jesus is the Savior and the healer. And from his side on the cross, blood and water flowed. On his back were stripes that bring our healing. And 50 days after Passover came Pentecost, when that mighty rushing wind would blow in and heal them of their disease called sin and save their souls that experience started with hundred and twenty people or can I say it this way a measurement to the ankles (laughs) in fact Acts chapter 8 1 verse 8 says but you this is just before Jesus leaves but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me watch this in Jerusalem that's where it started in an upper room. In Judea, that's the, that's the basically Jerusalem metro. And in all Samaria and to the end of the earth, four measurements. Mm. Bear with me. Jerusalem was chapters 2, 3, and 4. That's water to the ankles. Judea was chapters 5 and 6 of Acts. That's Judea. Samaria was acts chapter 7 and 8 and the first part of it. That's water to the waist But at the latter part of chapter 8 the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized in Jesus name and in Acts chapter 10 Cornelius is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and all his household that is waters to swim in And a very great multitude of fish And back in John 21, it says, although there was this great multitude of fish, although there were so many, verse 11 says, the net was not broken. Can I tell somebody in the Holy Ghost, I feel the gift of prophecy on me. God is telling the church of Omaha to cast your net on the right side of the boat. We're gonna catch a great catch of fish. It's gonna include drug addicts and prostitutes and pimps and transgenders and pedophiles and alcoholics but they're going to be saved by the name of Jesus Christ by the blood of the lamb there's going to be broken marriages restored there's going to be broken lives healed it's going to be a great catch I'm telling somebody cast the net on the other side hallelujah hallelujah and when they saw that number Which again in Hebrew would mean I am God. No one dared ask Tui what they knew. This is the Lord. And they knew what their purpose was. This was never meant to be a revival of just one ethnicity. It was never going to be just Jews saved, but it was going to be Gentiles also and i believe when jesus showed them that number and they counted it and they realized how many there were i believe that the unspoken conversation in the word was every one of their minds went to ezekiel's prophecy because that's where god led me (laughs) jesus on the last day of the great feast said he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water ah come on has anybody ever been affected by the river of jesus christ come on am i talking to anybody that's been baptized in jesus name and feel with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Is there anybody online? Click the like emoji or something and let us know. And if not, there's a baptismal tank ready that's fresh and clean. There's robes ready. You can go down in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never spoken tongues, you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. God doesn't look at your ethnicity. God doesn't look at your bank account. God doesn't look at your last name. Amen. He just says, cast the net. I see coworkers and classmates, yours being saved. I told you about my dream last week. I see your friends and neighbors, your family. I see your persons that you're speaking to, that you're planting that seed in and watering it. I see them born again. I see them, uh, God giving the increase, amen. I see the greater reality of an abundant harvest. And by the way, just like the 153 fish didn't break the net, don't worry. Revival ain't going to break the net called the church. And I can prove it because watch what Revelation 7 9 says. After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations. And you could keep saying, of all tribes, of all peoples, of all tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. I just want to put this little plug in here another little sidebar it's not in my notes but but i just feel to to do it the old phrase used to be if you can't get along down here how will you get along in heaven that's wrong survey says Uh, (laughs) no you can't get along down here you ain't going over there because there's a great catch of fish of all kinds just like Ezekiel's prophecy. Just like Jesus' uh, uh, miracle there on the shore. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to see some blue filled up. Amen. Yes, amen. I don't know about you, <laughs> but, but, but I, I want to have the problem and, and have to sit down with the praise team and the pastoral team and say we might have to go to two services and, and, and 200 at this one and 200 at that one come on I I wouldn't mind having that that problem and I believe in Jesus name that God is doing a great work we're in the last days we're approaching the end times and I believe with all of my heart we're about to see an abundant harvest I feel the gift of prophecy to tell you cast the net on the right side and get ready for an abundant harvest pray for that friend one more time invite them one more time knock on their door one more time tell them about jesus one more time cast the net on the i know you fished all night i know you've toiled for a long time i know you've prayed for him for many years but do it one more time cast your net on the right side hallelujah Last month, in our Encounters with Jesus series, you heard testimony from many people who were part of that great catch of all kinds of people from all walks of life, and today we're going to continue that process as we move into March, and I'm asking, Joseph, you're going to go first if you would come and share your testimony with us today.
1: When we came, is on, okay. Uh, when we came in, came in here last month, and we heard they were doing testimonies. Uh, I looked on the calendar and I asked for this day for a very special reason, and that'll become evident later on. Uh, my journey with with God started when I was about six or seven years old. My grandmother first introduced me to the idea of God. She would. She showed me how to pray. We would pray every night and all that. And she also told me that I could talk to God like he was in the room. So I started doing that. I talked to God like he was with me all the time, wherever I went. I actually would say a bad word, and I'd say, sorry, God. (laughs) Well, uh, one of those times, my grandfather caught me, and he was not in the church. And he goes, who are you talking to? And being a little bit embarrassed, I said, no one. Well, he uh, said the first sign of going crazy is talking to no one. So I stopped doing that. Uh, Later on when I was nine, my grandma started taking me to church. And about six months later, when I was 10, uh, I got very, very sick. I got appendicitis. And when we got to the doctor's office, he said immediately go over to the hospital. They flew in a doctor from Denver, to perform surgery that very night. They said that I was 18 hours from being dead. I had six surgeries over the next four days. I was in the hospital for two weeks total and spent the next ten months in recovery. Stopped going to church altogether. Uh, Fast forward to when I was 15, started going to church again. I fell off a horse, broke my arm, and my mind equated to Going to church equaled bad things. The church was God's house, and I was not welcome inside. So I stopped going to church altogether. Uh, when I was 19, my grandmother passed away, and she was somebody that was very, very special to me. She was very, very close. And when she passed away, I started falling into a very, very dark depression. Um, I, was, I had suicidal thoughts every single day. But I found out that when I was drunk, I was happy. I was a happy drunk. So I was drinking excessively almost every day. Uh, Throughout that time, there was really no direction in my life. There was really nothing good in my life. And then, seven years ago, I was on my knees in my living room with a gun to my head. And I had the camera cocked and I was bawling my eyes out and the next thing I know it's the next morning. I was on my, there, were ready to end my life and the next thing I know it's the next day. Well, I wake up the next day and the depression is gone. All of it. The hurt, the pain, the depression, all of it is completely gone. And I looked through, looked at the world with brand new eyes, and that's one of the reasons why Romans 1.20 is my favorite verse in the Bible. I can look at the world, and I can see the beauty of God in everything, and we're truly left with no excuse. <laughs> Three years later, I'm with uh, my cousin, and we're, it's Christmas, Christmas Day, and we're drinking, and I still didn't quit drinking because, well, I didn't really have a reason to. That was the very last, that was the very last time I ever drank because God was about to work something in my life. All right. I, st- I went home, I was here in Omaha at that time, and I went home, came here, I mean, it was a four hour drive from North Platte to here. I spent the next, spent that entire four hours debating on whether I should get back in church or not. And given my past experience, it was not a very pleasant conversation. So I, when I got back, I decided, well, I'll go buy a Bible. We'll see if that works. I started reading the Bible every single day, felt nothing. It was just words on a page. It was just another story. So I put the Bible away. And I'm like, well, God's not going to do nothing, then fine. Uh, My mom came down to visit for 4th of July. And about five minutes after she left, I got this weird urge to look up a church in my area. Didn't think about it the whole time my mom was here. Didn't think about it. It was not in my mind. All of a sudden, I'm just looking up a church. And the Church of Omaha was the first one on the list. What I found out, though, is there's four other churches between my house and here. Yeah, this is the, this is the one that was uh, um, first on the list. Go back to 2014 when I had that gun to my head. That was March 7th, 2014. Seven years ago today. Anyways, that night was a Friday, and I told God, if you want me to get into church, I'm going to go on Sunday, but you need to give me a sign to tell me that that's what you want. Next day Saturday. I didn't realize this until a few months later, but Lucas goes into Bishop's office, and he says, I want a disciple. Well, God was about to deliver one the very next day. (laughs) I walked through the church and I had I walked through the doors of the church and I had one of the very warmest welcomes I've ever had in my life. This is an amazing this church is truly an amazing place. Lucas walks through the door and he's excited like like he always is. He goes, "Do you want a Bible study?" And I'm like, uh, sure." <laughs> well, we started a Bible study every every Wednesday before church. And we started in Genesis, and I was so intrigued by Genesis that we spent a year in Genesis. What was supposed to be 12 weeks to, through the entire Bible turned into an entire year just in Genesis. So this month we're reading Genesis, a book I'm very familiar with. <laughs> After getting into the church, I started feeling God moving my life. A lot of things were changing. Um, became, God became my life. I started, I wanted more. I wanted more and more and more. I wanted to know all I could. I wanted to study all I could. I wanted to get as close as I could to him. Uh, a couple years ago, an evangelist by the name of uh, Ryan Near. you guys will, if you guys don't know who he is, you'll see him next month. He was here, and me, Bishop, and Lucas went to lunch, took him out to lunch, and I was telling him my testimony, and he goes, wait a minute, what day was that? He looked back in his calendar, and he said, we were preaching a uh, healing service that night. The very night I had a gun to my head, this church was praying for healing against depression, against suicide, against other things. This church was praying for me that night. So God was working through this church the night I was going to take my life. God was working in this church to give Lucas a disciple and to give me a teacher. And God has been working in my life ever since. (laughs) So this day is a very special day.
0: I want to just add one piece to that. Was baptized, I think, was it around November time, December time of that year you came? Oh, November 29th. November 29th. Was baptized in Jesus' name. And by this time, I'm teaching with Joseph as well, and you know coinciding with Lucas a little bit. And uh, I've been teaching him about the Holy Ghost and all. Well, I went to Israel. When I got back, my study was still the, the last room that my wife is in now. Joseph came to the, to the door frame, blocked me from getting out, and says, I want to know everything there is about tongues. I'm like, okay. Well, we're getting ready to have church, but uh, let me give you the quick version. I think it was that Wednesday or next Sunday that, that God filled him with the Holy Ghost. So, amen. So, amen, amen. Emily, are you... Okay, and then after Emily, Brittany, if you'd just be ready to come up as well. Amen. So thankful for these testimonies. Amen. Praise God.
2: I got to say, I was not expecting to be up here because I, I've always felt that my testimony is a little too intense for church and too inappropriate for church, and I was talking with Bishop about that, and he goes, we'll make it PG-13 and stuff, so... Bear with me. I will try not to go into too much detail, but I'm okay if you step out. My testimony starts before I was even born. My parents were not married. They became pregnant with me, and members of my mom's family wanted me aborted, and my mom said no. My dad, who had previously been married and found out that his first daughter wasn't his, didn't think that I was his, so he walked out on us. My mom spent the next four years trying to raise me by herself, putting herself through school, and getting her life together. During that time, when I was about three years old, my mom would take me over to my grandma's house, and she had adopted two boys. One at the time was 13, the other was 16, and these were my adopted uncles. They started sexually torturing me every single day from the age of three for eight hours a day because my grandma would just let it happen. That went on until I was seven. My parents had gotten back together, got married when I was four. And when I was seven, my parents moved the youngest one into our house with us. And I had to live with them. And at seven years old, he's the one that made the first attempt on my life. From then, my parents kicked him out. He went back to living with my grandma, but they still sent me over to her house. Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and I was there. And it continued until I was 10 years old. During this time, I knew that there was something else. I knew that there was something higher because I could see angels and I could see demons as clearly as I can see each and every one of you sitting here today. And that intrigued me enough to when I became about 10, 11 years old, I started dabbling in witchcraft. I started playing with tarot cards. I started playing with voodoo dolls. I started messing around with Ouija boards. And I was so drawn to the demonic side of things that if I wanted to relax, I put on a horror movie. If I wanted to relax, I sat and read tarot cards or I would look up different ways to torture or kill myself or torture others. I was very, very involved in pain because pain is all that I knew. My dad was a very severe alcoholic. My dad, I've watched this man jump out of a moving car because he was mad at me because I was defending my little sister. This man has, I've watched him kick a dog across the room because it bit him and I've watched him try and break my arm because he was upset. because. Over the tiniest thing, I think it was that my mom didn't have Dr. Pepper in the house. Very angry man. The abuse stopped with my uncles when I was about 10 years old. And that summer, one of my dad's cousins, who was 16, came down for the summer, and it started up again with him. And that went on every year until I was about 15 years old. By this time, I have made a pact with Satan that... That's the side that I was gonna go with because there was no way in my head that a God, a man, a male figure could love me. I hated myself. I absolutely hated myself. When I was 14 years old, my grandma, who was my best friend, saying grandma that allowed all this stuff to happen at her house, was diagnosed with cancer and my parents moved her into our house. I watched her die 28 days later. I helped care for her. And 28 days later, she passed away. When I found that out, I got into the medicine cabinet. And her pills were still in there. And I took as many of them as I possibly could. And I fell asleep for three days. For three days, I did not move. I did not get up to use the restroom. I didn't get up to eat or drink. I slept. After three days, my mom finally was like, "Okay, yeah, I should probably take her to the doctor. They take me to the doctor at urgent care, and my veins are so dehydrated, I was so dehydrated, they could not draw an ounce of blood out of my body. And they took my vitals, and they were fine. And they're like, we have no idea how in the world she's alive. There's no way. But yet, I was fine, and they sent me home and said, just hydrate her. I continued to go to school. My parents acted like nothing was wrong. And a few months later, I attempted again to take my life. I was going to kill myself with a knife. And as I was getting ready to do so, I heard the back gate to our house open. And I looked out the window and it was my little sister walking through and she was the last person that I wanted to find me. So I hurry up, I ran, put the knife away. And this was about Valentine's Day and didn't let her know what was going on, nothing like that. Little to my knowledge, My sister, who was in the fifth, or excuse me, she was in kindergarten, so she was about five years old, knew exactly what was going on. She wrote me a letter that night saying how she couldn't imagine living without me. This little girl who I thought that I was hiding everything so well from, and I still have that letter today. So this is about, I'm about 14, 15 years old, and my best friend who lived down the street I went to his house one day, and I was just going over there. I was helping out another friend. Went over there, walked through the door, and he is high out of his mind on heroin and whatever else his older brother could feed to him. And I walk in the door, and he has me at gunpoint. And he threatened to kill me simply because I was white, and he was Hispanic, and his older brother, who was a part of the Sur 13 gang, thought that all white women should die. He was the second person to try and take my life. I, how I walked out of that situation, I don't know because I looked out and told him to pull the trigger because I didn't care. I wasn't afraid to die. My best friend tried killing me. My dad tried killing me. I've been abused by men my entire life. I don't care. I get into high school, and any man or boy or whoever that wanted to use me for whatever it was that he wanted, I let him. I went so far as to travel across the state of Nebraska because some guy hit me up on a Kik account or on Facebook or whatever. I tried sleeping with a coworker. It didn't matter. I was like, okay. All I was was an object. And little did I know that this was grooming. I had never even heard that term before until one of our sisters came up and talked about it one day and I was standing in the back. But I had been groomed since I was three years old that this was okay. and that's. All that i thought of myself was i am just this object for men again i had no sense of god i was still playing with tarot cards and doing all this when i turned 17 i met my first husband he was a marine he was stationed in okinawa he was the sweetest man i had ever met he would tell me every day how beautiful i was he would tell me how much he loved me when i turned 18 and found out that he was coming home because he got discharged I moved three hours away to Garing, Nebraska to be with him. He was wonderful throughout our dating, being engaged. When we got engaged, I got pregnant for the first time and lost my first baby. And then we got married. I got pregnant for the second time and he switched on a dime. I was pregnant with twins, and when I miscarried them, he told me that he was happy that I lost him. I was going in for a DNC, and he laughed at me because I wanted a funeral for the babies, and he wouldn't let me have one. After this, the abuse started with him, and I would get beat on a regular basis. He would go to a fire call and be there three hours after the call had ended, and mind you, I'm an EMT, so I was on these calls too, and I would come home and he'd be gone for another three hours. He was cheating, but I forgave him because I believe that when you get married, you stay married, that's your spouse. I didn't believe in divorce. I got pregnant for a third time. I was pregnant with Cole. He beat me so bad that I almost miscarried him at 16 weeks. We lost his heartbeat. But Cole's a fighter. (laughs) At 30 weeks, they lost his heartbeat again. At 34 weeks, I got a really bad infection and my water had started leaking, and I went into early labor, and they managed to stop the labor. At 36 weeks, I had a Labrador that was 110 pounds jumped directly on my stomach, totally broke it, and I was then taken to the hospital, which I had to drive myself because my husband didn't want to drive me. Get there, and they start Pitocin, and I was in active labor for 23 hours And the nurse said I wasn't trying hard enough and walked out of the room with the doctor. Left me totally alone. I pushed for three hours, and Cole was a stillborn. That boy was as blue as blue could be. He was hogtied three times with the umbilical cord. And I ended up with HELP syndrome, and I was in organ failure. I I had a blood pressure of over 200 and I believe it was 210 over 160, which anyone who knows medicine knows that that's extremely high and I had lost a lot of blood. Cole, they managed to revive him, and he did great. I was hospitalized for another five days, and my husband had left me there. At this point, I knew that my marriage physically, emotionally was over, but I stayed with him. When Cole was six weeks old, he threatened to kill Cole for the first time. I was at work. I would only been there for an hour, and he called me screaming in the phone so loud that my boss could hear him, and she sent me home because she thought that he was going to kill him. I called my mom, and I told her to come get calls. She drove the three hours to pick him up, and I stayed for an additional two weeks, and this is the first time that he held a gun to my head, and he said that he wasn't going to let me go. He then turned it on himself, and I got sitting on the bed. He turned it on himself, and I got down between his knees, and I told him that God loved him. I hadn't been in church, still didn't think that God loved me, but I told him that God loved him and that God forgave him. And he put the gun down and he packed up my stuff and the next morning he loaded all of my stuff into my dad's truck and let me leave. I still thought that my marriage needed fixed. I still wanted to fight for us even though everything he had put me through. And I called him and I said, if you love me, if you want to be my husband, you want to be a dad, move out of Gehring, move away from your parents, come to me in North Platte and go to church with us. And he said no. I then made a bargain with God and I said, if you want my ex-husband in Cole's life, he'll come to you. If not, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want him to have anything to do with Cole and you have to bring a man into my life that loves Cole as his own and that loves you. Those were my conditions. Literally about 2 months later, Joseph walked into my life. Obviously, that is a man that loves God. <laughs> and he has <laughs> and he has adopted Cole. My ex-husband called me up one day and said, "I want to sign over my rights. Does your the guy that you're with, does he want him?" And he signed over his rights. Joseph adopted him. And then one small other little thing I was told by the OBGYN that delivered Cole, who now doesn't have her medical license because of that. But she told me i never have kids again, and I have Kenneth. Hallelujah. So.
0: Amen. Aren't you thankful for God's delivering healing power? Amen. I'm so thankful for these testimonies and what God has done. Amen. In these lives. Amen. Sister Brittany, in Jesus' name.
3: Well, I've been up here a couple times before. A lot of you have heard some of my testimony. I'm much more nervous this time. Um, So I wrote down what I was going to say so I didn't forget anything. Um, Thank you, Emily, for sharing your testimony. God is a God of power and he's not afraid of what we've been through. I'm so thankful for a church that encourages such bold connection Through testimony. God calls us to share our story of redemption. It is only the devil that wishes us to remain silent. Lest our words of freedom spark a revival that cannot be stopped. I stand before you vulnerable, unashamed and raw about the places God has brought me from. Psalm 139 says if I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night even the darkness is not dark to you the night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you for you formed my inward parts you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me before there was any of them i received the holy spirit when i was nine years old at a sleepover praying about a stomach ache those apostolic parents caught it on tape and my family's foundation and truth began god knew i would need a family anchored in faith to always be a safe landing place after the storms of life would ravage me. At ages nine and 11, I was molested and the darkness that would overwhelm my life for years started to take hold. By age 14, I was consumed and lost. My identity cracked and the devil doing what he does best, filling me with lies about who I was and who I should be to be free from from a God that didn't love me anyway. The spirits in my life were so hungry for the pieces of me. Cutting and self-harm was my attempt to feel anything, but I couldn't. Promiscuity, alcohol, constant horror movies, and angry, life-hating music filled me. Yes, what you see and hear matters so much. It creates the environment for our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Plus, it feeds the spirits that are attacking us. Around this time, at the last youth camp I would ever go to, I made the decision to stop serving God. We were asked to write all of our hurt on a piece of paper, and we would burn it in the campfire and then pray with our friends. The word that popped into my mind as my heart started to race. I wrote the word, nothing, on a piece of paper, and I threw it into the fire. I wept bitterly, not from release, but from the willing turning my heart to stone and turning away from my creator in my mind forever. That was the moment that I knew that I would never trust God. It all continued and got worse. By 18, I had moved out and was using meth, and nothing was going to stop me. I was raped by the drug dealer I lived with, but I still stayed. This one event should clearly paint the picture of how powerful the bondage of sin and addiction is. I eventually did go home to parents that never stopped praying and never stopped searching for me. But it wasn't time yet. I cleaned up a little, but for the next two years, I dated an abusive alcoholic. He practiced Wicca, so I began dabbling in it as well. Addiction, self-hate, and spiritual darkness covered my life. When I couldn't take it anymore, I decided I needed a new start. So off to college I went. I started classes at Iowa Western for Culinary Arts in 2010. There I would meet the man I was going to marry. Long story short, after a year of meeting, we were pregnant and planning our wedding. I was so unsure if this was what I should do with my life. Dana was a great guy. He respected me. He did kind things all the time for me, and he treated me with a care I had never been shown before. But, the, but for the first time in years, I heard God calling me back. This person I was growing inside me deserved better. Dana and I partied and smoked pot, so I didn't really know how he would react to me dropping it all to go back to church. Plus, I told him we had to remain abstinent till we got married in three months as I tried recommitting my life to God. Without hesitation, Dana said okay. He didn't understand, but he supported me, and we could try whatever I believed was right and would help us, never pressuring me, always encouraging me. That was the moment I knew this was the man God wanted me to marry. Of course, the deep scars of my life didn't just disappear. Year after year, the brokenness chipped away, and healing took its place, with many relapses of substance abuse and blocking God's desire to give me full deliverance. But even in relapse, I always brought my two daughters back to this church. I started coming here the month I found out I was pregnant, and I've never stopped, because I knew they deserved it. Lasting sobriety finally came in the most unexpected way. Dana and I decided to try for one more baby, a son hopefully. Well, two miscarriages later, we thought that that wasn't in God's plan, and the devil tried one last time to trip me up, saying why if I'd been trying so hard to give God my all would he let me feel this pain again but this time I heard God's voice even louder if you make it through this pain only finding comfort in me you will stay sober forever so I did I let the tears of a lifetime flow I prayed and read my bible more than ever and six years later I'm still sober <laughs> Not only that, but God gave us the son we desired also. He will be three in July. My husband has been baptized in Jesus' name. He is sober and actively seeks to make right choices for God. I know that one day soon he will receive the Holy Ghost to complete the work in him. He never stopped encouraging me to live for God, even when he didn't. And for that I am so thankful. I wouldn't have made it this far without it. I've seen both my daughters baptized in Jesus' name and one received the Holy Ghost a few weeks ago. Even my son kneels at the altar as he waves me over to pray for him. I've been a Sunday school teacher for five years. These kids and their unshakable identity in Christ is my passion. If truth is their foundation, no devil is going to shake them. As for me and my deep scars, well, this past year has had the most healing and freedom my life has ever known. God has a purpose, a plan, and a reason. He doesn't give us our pain, but he will surely take it away and give us a new life in its place. I always struggled staying connected to God, my, but my greatest realization and weapon is knowing his hand is always out. Am I stepping away for it or am I walking towards it? Seek God daily. I promise nothing else matters like he does I can say I am fully healed. My heart knows joy, my life is blessed, and beauty is all around. It was God's plan all along. Parents, never give up on your kids. My parents never gave up on us. They're in the back row holding my kids. You heard my brother talk last week, and my sister's over there. Parents never give up. Healing is when you're not angry at God. You know he gave us free will, and our free will chooses sin it's knowing that the people that hurt you, they're sinners just like you and they deserve freedom in God just as much. I wouldn't trade my life for anything, but I'm so glad that I have found freedom and friendship and joy in this church and in this place. And as my dad always used to sing, clapping his hands as he would do things around the house, he brought me out of that my clay He set my feet on a rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today, a song of praise. Hallelujah.
0: Awesome. Hallelujah. How beautiful, how rich, how wonderful are these testimonies. Amen week after week person after person and sister Brittany I agree the freedom that comes from that and you know her essence of being thankful to be in a church like this I'm thankful to pastor a church like this Amen to to serve here I love what God has done with our brokenness and made it blessed Amen Amen. I think it's an appropriate time and our ushers are getting ready to come. We're going to receive and partake in communion today. It's the first Sunday of the month and first Sunday of the month we want to do that. And what a day to do that. What a day in which our Lord, if he was here in person, could testify of his brokenness, of being betrayed, of being denied, doubted, rejected by his own. And yet he still loved, and he still forgave, and like you said, they deserve forgiveness too. They're sinners that need to be free too. And so ushers, please go ahead and begin to to pass this out. And as they are, I wanna read the scriptures to you that celebrate and and commemorate this moment. I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Amen. And the word of the Lord says this For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. You know, it's interesting to me, of all the things to remember of that night, God inspires Paul to write and say, Remember the betrayal. He could have said on the night that, that I was crucified, he could have said on the night. That, that Peter doubted me, uh, denied me, excuse me. Betrayal, the, the, the one thing that I believe hurt him the most. It, it's why in whatever uh, a degree of scholarly mind I have, I believe the cup he wanted to pass from him, I don't believe that was the cross. I believe that was the pain of betrayal that he would feel. That's just my personal opinion. It'll be in the MTP commentary and you're welcome to have yours as well. And I'm not saying that to be comical in this sober moment. What I'm saying is, this is what's remembered. On the night our Lord was betrayed, Paul said, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we break that bread and when we take it, it's a remembrance of his broken body for us. The reason you can hear testimony after testimony, thank you, of, of healing and deliverance and forgiveness and salvation is because he was broken. And, and again, I'll, I'll rec- reference you, Sister Brittany, he didn't cause our pain, but he can take it away. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this cup, and, or excuse me, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come." If you've got ready, if you would take the bread, we're going to receive this together in Jesus' name and thank the Lord for his broken body, amen. Let's do that right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being broken for my sake thank you lord jesus for coming and hanging on that tree in my place lord if you got the cup ready would you also receive that with me now too in jesus name your body was broken you shed your blood that i might be set free lord i wonder if you could just lift your hands where you're at begin to thank him and praise him I know online you weren't able to partake with us, if you knew it was communion and you had your own, would you just praise him with us for a moment? Would you just thank him with us for a moment as we take a moment to say, God, thank you for being the body and the blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being broken, that I might be healed. Thank you for shedding your blood, that I might be saved. Thank you for dying, that I might live, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Can we just love him and praise him? Can we just glorify him for a moment and thank him, hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to keep doing these testimonies for the month of, uh, uh, well, into April too, but March and April. I just feel God is going to keep saying some things to us as, as different ones among us will share their testimony. So, amen. And I, I want to say again if you're interested, you want to share, please let me know. I, I'd like to, to put you on as well as, so you could be a part of that and, and testify as well.